Hey, so before this episode starts, I wanted to let you know that I'm running a free webinar training on how I reach hundreds of thousands of potential customers each year and generate partnership revenue through authentic brand partnerships. It may be that you're feeling really cash strapped at the moment. Maybe you're over relying on Facebook and Instagram advertising, or it could just be that your marketing strategies are no longer cutting through or working like they used to. Either way, it's absolutely time to use brand partnerships. There's never been a more necessary time to integrate this tactic into your marketing strategy because partnerships can drive both reach and revenue for your business, which is really exciting. I'm only going to do two free sessions on this. The first one's on Tuesday, the 2nd of August, and the second one is on Wednesday, the 3rd of August. One's at lunchtime, one is early morning. Um, And to register, you can do that for free via the URL bit.ly slash reach 100k or bit.ly slash reach 100k. I look forward to seeing you there. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to This Is How We Do It. We chat with brilliant marketers to delve behind the scenes of creative marketing collaborations and brand partnerships. I'm your host, Jess Rufus, and I'm the founder of Collabosaurus, Together with Yotpo, we are exploring how collaboration marketing can build a business and we're chatting to the pros about how they do it. Hey, hey, welcome back to This Is How We Do It. I'm your host, Jess Reefus, and today's conversation is straight from the amazing women in e-commerce event in Melbourne, brought together by our awesome podcast partners at Yotpo and hosted at LaunchLink's offices. Today, I'm speaking with Chantelle Braley, who's the head of brand marketing for fashion e-commerce brand Petal and Pup. And Chantelle has spent all, like the entirety of her career working across retail, primarily focusing on fashion. So she has a lot of incredible insights in the fashion industry. And she's worked with powerhouse brands like Lorna Jane, Napoleon Purtis, Flight Center. She's gained a wealth of knowledge, learning from the best in performance, creative and leadership, Such a joy to chat to. Um, And she's also spent the last almost three years working with Petal and Pup, building the foundational base of their global marketing team and growing that team to just over 15 people across performance, creative, public relations, and e-commerce. So I'm chatting with Chantelle about loyalty, performance marketing, and tech today. And I hope you love this conversation as much as I do. Let's jump right in. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with everybody today. Yes. And I mean, my first question, because Petal and Pup has really established itself as this go-to high growth fashion Mm -hmm. brand. What does a typical day look like for you as the head of brand marketing? The simplest way to answer that is probably that there's literally no same day. Like no two days are the same. I'm sure my staff are looking at my Instagram stories today and seeing like wine and model casting and it looks ex- luxurious, missing the kind of meetings that started at like 5 a.m. going over strategy. Um, but really like every day for me and every day kind of for my team is just focusing on what are the brand's most urgent needs, future planning strategy, and really just being agile. That's probably the the best way to describe it, but it is full of fun, amazing things that I get to do. I think I'm very lucky that like the job I thought I was going to have when I was like seven, somehow we've created that job and I've been able to get to that point. Um, But literally every day is going to be different. Yeah. And career wise, how did you land this role at Pedal and Pop? What led you here? 
So I've worked with, like, as you mentioned, quite a few brands over the last couple of years. Um, like my career in marketing started working in PR and um, I'm from the US originally working in PR in LA back when the goal was to get like Lindsay Lohan to use a product. So that probably <laughs> dates me a little bit, but you know, it did, it did start quite a while ago. Um, but you know, with Petal and Pop, I had this really unique opportunity to come on board originally for six months. And it was meant to be six months, come and build a team because like talking about amazing women in e-commerce, the founder Tiff was the buyer, the person who did all the social media, the person who planned the, like she did everything. Um, she was even the model on an iPhone at one point when the first, when the brand first launched. Um, and my responsibility was to basically build a team, come in for six months, get them thriving, and then just kind of head out on my next adventure. Um, and then during that time, we were acquired by a U.S. brand, and now it's, you know, we have a team now of over 25 people across the U.S. and America, and that was literally almost three years ago. Um, and Chloe, who's with me, was actually the first person that, we, that I hired um, back in August of 2019. That's amazing. And I mean, I think I, I love that uh, like the core team member was also the model. <laughs> that's great. My next question is actually about influencer partnerships because I know that's quite core to Pedal and Pup's strategy. How do you source authentic voices? Because I think that's something a lot of brands really come up against trying to actually find influencers that are authentic. It, it's been a unique journey for us. And I think, you know, your call out to saying brands struggle to find people who are authentic, that is probably one of the biggest things that going into knowing we wanted influencer marketing, we really wanted to focus on. Um, and we were a brand that didn't even start doing influencer marketing until October 2019. So it just didn't exist, which to me is like wild considering the fact that so many brands were already using influencers. Um, but it's become a really core strategy. I mean, I'm wearing a piece from our Georgie Stevenson collection, which um, that was a seeded product that we ended up posting a photo of and then realizing not only did her people love us, our people loved her. So we, we, we really look at important things like, would this be somebody who would actually buy our product, who would actually wear our product, who would gravitate toward our product? And, you know, we've definitely had those moments where we chose someone who, like being in fashion, like there's so many things that we think are cool, but then maybe it's not going to connect with our customer. And we've learned that like it was... Not necessarily inauthentic, but we didn't do it with her in mind. Therefore, we should really like step back and kind of re rethink that strategy. Um, and now it's a huge portion. We've got four, and we've got five like thriving team members and a manager for the PR team, um, and they're just doing just like literally the most amazing things that I would have never thought we'd be able to be doing. So yeah. Yeah. awesome. And I mean, with the cost of advertising and everything rising and Instagram as a platform changing a lot with that algorithm, the pesky mm. algorithm, how's your marketing strategy really changing um, this year and beyond? Oh, I guess like the, the sentiment earlier about pivoting like that, that Priscilla talked about, that's incredibly true. So we have had to make changes, and I don't want to use the, rea the word reactive because I think that that makes something sound like we, we don't want to do it or we're just doing it because we need to do it, but we need to almost be like ahead of our customer and all of our decisions that we're making. So we've instilled really great best practices to stop the reactiveness or to stop kind of the craziness, but also um, 
I think knowing which channels and like knowing what part of your strategy is going to benefit your customer and your audience the most at that point is the most like sure way to make sure that you're combating things. Like, as he said, CPMs are rising. We know when CPMs are rising as marketers, we know when to avoid spending in certain channels. And I think thinking that you can have the same strategy all year round doesn't work because people don't purchase the same way every year round. And we found a lot of confidence in knowing like, what are our times to play and shine? And what are our times that we may not be the ultimate first choice, but it's kind of okay because that gives us more time to really ramp up when we, you know, are going to be the spotlight of, you know, their wardrobe. Totally. And I mean, with, I mean, the last two years, I think businesses have had to yeah. be quite reactive with Lounge everything wear is not, that's just, it's just not our thing. Like it's, it's great, but like loungewear, we just really like pretty things. A lot of loungewear isn't pretty. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, how, how far do you plan ahead now? Cause it sounds like you have quite a mix of strategies between needing to be reactive and responsive to trends and metrics and things that are happening. Um, and also having a strategy in mm-hmm. place, of course, that you can work to. Um, so how far do you plan ahead and what trends and metrics and things are you looking at on a weekly or monthly basis to inform that campaign? I think it really depends on, I guess, how big effort the strategy is. Like, I always talk to my team about, like, effort versus impact. And, like, we should be putting planning, strategy, effort into something that's going to impact the business. Whether it's through, like, having you know, crazy days where we're driving amazing sales or whether it's a function that we know is going to create a beautiful, long-standing benefit to our customers. Those are the things that are far planned in advance. And I think that's also because there's a lot of risk associated with those. So we try to make sure that we are as calculated as possible. Um, But there are very many days where, you know, especially like, I guess, knowing with how quickly we're growing that like we have to think on our feet. So... You know, do I know what's going to be featured in Sunday's email? I'm not sure. And there are brands that have the luxury of doing that and everything gets to be so well, you know, curated. Um, but we're just kind of having to master, like, how do we curate things on this, like, almost on the fly, knowing that we're growing so exponentially that there's, like, the theory and then there's the reality of what the day is. Mm. What, like how I said, no two days are the same. Yeah. Well, you guys have over a thousand different styles, on the platform, am I right in saying that? Um, at maybe this more current time, <laughs> uh, yeah. So at this current time, we probably have about three and a half thousand active styles. I'd say across maybe fifteen or sixteen different categories. That's crazy. Yeah, I do think agility with um, growing econ brands is actually a huge, like. I don't know, power move. <laughs> like it gives you so much flexibility to actually explore. Mm-hmm. strategies and test and measure things that yes. like larger behemoth companies don't have the luxury of. So, I mean, my next question is actually about personalizing communications with customers. How are you approaching that to build loyalty in, in communities, especially? Um, well, we all probably go into maybe some technical ways, actually, because I think Love as soon as you way. talk about loyalty, I think one really good thing to never forget, and it's something that can get really technical, but I'll be honest, we haven't invested in that part yet is um social listening like i can say that my my team in particular because obviously i can only speak to my team but like we just literally have the most amazing people at pedal and pop so i know the other teams carry the same sentiment but social listening and listening to our customer is literally the core of our business because we 
really, um, if we ever like stop celebrating her milestones or if we ever stop really listening to what she needs, then we're not going to be able to be as agile as we are. Like that's, or as quick growing as we are, that's the reason why we're growing so quickly is because we're able to really pick up with her sentiment. So um, like every DM gets answered. Like every DM, we don't care if it's, and we get this, like it can be your mom sending us a photo of her in a knit and we will like hype her up and be her ultimate hype girl. Um, But also if things aren't panning out as well, that message is received and carried through because there are are ways that we can quantify that with technology. But as a brand, we've chosen to invest first in things that, you know, maybe aren't as robust as social listening. So that's like the absolute core of us keeping a loyal customer is she is like our best friend. She is the person we want to hype up. She's the person that we want to take care of. Um, And we have lots of passionate conversations in the office when marketing feels really adamantly that we're not there yet or that we need to do better um, because we're so ingrained in what our customer wants. Um, In terms of like other ways to personalize and loyalty, like we have started dabbling in... um, you know, personalization-driven search because that's something that's incredibly important. Um, Q2 on the roadmap is us launching a loyalty program, which I'm so excited for. Um, and we've already started to personalize all of our SMS as like as much as we can without that loyalty program. So um, there's lots of segmentation that we do as a team, and there's also a lot of um, you know, in kind of at this point, we're really exploring what we can do from a technology standpoint, but. Loyalty is coming in Q2, so I'm so, or I'll now say US Q2 because I'm on American Financial Years now, guys. So um, in, in Q2, so um, that's going to be probably one of the biggest points for us is actually having a tangible, metric-driven way to gauge loyalty. Mm. And I mean, with that loyalty program, if you're allowed to talk about mm-hmm. it just yet, how are you approaching that and what does that look like? So we don't actually have like the clear tiers of like, this is what we want to award somebody, et cetera, but... I have never been in a business that has such a loyal customer. Like our customers purchase history and frequency. Like you can see that we are the go-to for like every time she needs to buy an event, like baby shower, next event, wedding guest. Like you can see it in the purchase history. Um, But for us, we really want to make sure that we're catering to are customers who purchase really frequently based on events, but also begin to explore, like we know that we've got really great office and like workwear, so like how are we gonna talk to her? How are we going to incentivize her? Um, I'm also so excited to be able to use loyalty to actually incentivize more UGC. Um, I think that one great thing about our customer is that she, if she was in a, in a you know, group of friends, like she'd be the nice girl, and like I love that but she probably isn't the first person to take the photo and put it on Instagram and want it posted, which means we sometimes struggle with the UGC side of it because we don't necessarily have a product that you want to share and have a testimony about, but we, we do have a product that like effectively, I believe like when you feel good, you have a great day. Um, so it's empowering. So I love that we're going to be able to incentivize people to speak to us a little bit more, um, to tell us when something's not great, you know, et cetera, and really be able to quantify their engagement with the brand. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like you've already got those lines of communication open with the DMs, which a lot of brands don't, which is so amazing. I mean, I remember um, hearing, I can't remember who said this, but they were saying with Instagram, you know, the future is private and those one-on-one conversations with customers are just so powerful for informing strategy. So yeah. that's awesome that you're doing that. It, I love that with the loyalty program too. That makes sense. Yeah. The loyalty program, 
program is going to be like game changer. And I think this is also the way that we're going to be able to like really quantify the sentiment because sentiment is just like so hard to quantify. So the more we can do with loyalty, the more we're going to be able to track how our decisions are going to ultimately impact the customer and also really drive them to kind of tell us more. Um, but like, you know, if our CX team is a little bit behind in DMs, like even I will go in and I'll answer them and I'll have these conversations. Because if you think about um, if someone really needs help, if either they're really happy or they're really upset, they're probably not going to send an email if it's really amplified. They're either going to send you an SMS. I still have every single SMS bump email go directly to my inbox so that I can check it. Um, or they're going to send you a DM because they want to have that personalized conversation of like, I've loved this or, hey, I'm not so happy with this. And it's really important that we allow them to speak in the way that they want to be communicated to. Mm. Well, I remember, I think there's a stat. It's like people are five times more likely to share a bad experience than they are a good experience, mm. which is really frustrating for brands. Um, but the loyalty program will incentivize people to share the good experiences yeah. more often. So, exactly. so good. Or even just the experiences that are like, hey, this product was awesome, but like maybe I'm not going to rave about it because it's just something that I bought to wear like daily. I think it's, you know, you, yeah. you might have something and we have a lot of really great dresses like that where you're going to wear this to the markets or you're just going to wear it like on a day to day thing. And you may not think to actually like talk about it, but we'll be able to really incentivize that. Yeah, totally. And I read somewhere that um, Pedal and Pup, 20% of um, sales are to international markets. Um, do you have any advice for e-commerce brands wanting to scale to the US and beyond? Well... I actually don't know that I can say like the percentage, but I can well and truly say that that 20%, um, we've really surpassed that, which is so exciting. So exciting. Um, I think for us, there was a lot of processes around regionalization. Um, I mean, I know I touched on before, but like I'm American, but I've lived here since 2009. So in saying that like it's a different market and it's a different customer and their touch points and their needs are different, like those are all so so valid and I've like I've learned that I'm out of touch with my own country in that sense like I feel like I'm more Australian at this point with what I've learned um, but regionalization has been incredibly important for us but also that was where our influencer strategy and our collaborations came on board and it was more than just like hey let me pay you to post this like it goes back to really collaborating with talent and finding out like do you like this product do you fit the way that you think it, it actually is like meant to fit you know what are you looking forward to in next season? Like, what are you doing? Like, literally, not necessarily using the influencers as like... It's almost um, like a research channel though too. It gives you real-time feedback. Oh, real-time real feedback, but also real-time feedback from people who are also tracking sentiment and people who also like really kind of have the best to best to choose to choose from. Some of our greatest influencers, like I would love to see what their PR like boxes look like that they get in a week right but then again any feedback that they're giving us as a brand is so incredibly important and it's it's going to be so on point and really allow us to leverage what um like how we stand against competitors um and then i think other than that with with the us is just understanding like there's so much opportunity for the us market and even though we're australian brands like thl is really good at getting things there like they are really they they are more sometimes more efficient than American postal services, um, even though we're so far away. So things that you may think are barriers for us, we've learned language, regionalization, um, seasonality are actually bigger barriers than like logistics, which is wild because that 
to me would be the first thing that I think of. I feel like that must have gone through a huge change. Like COVID has really pushed lots of logistics to the fore and changed that whole space. Exactly. Yeah. Um, But we also had really great opportunities. um, And a lot of this is through, you know, AKA brands. We've had a lot of great opportunities to expand into the U.S. market through really strong leadership, but also like, it's weird to think about the fact that I have team members in America who have been employed with us for more than two years, like who are on the ground um, and we're now shipping from America. So like each opportunity um, has really led to another exciting opportunity for us. So, mm. And I mean, influencer collaborations and partnerships are obviously really core to the strategy, mm-hmm. but I'd love to talk about brand partnerships mm-hmm. too, because it's my favorite topic. Um, very selfish of me, <laughs> but I'm going to ask anyway. You guys have some fantastic partnerships with Tarte Cosmetics that you have done and Made With Love Bridal. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk to those examples and why they're so effective? I'd love to hear. I think, I feel like Made With Love Bridal, and also because it's like another Australian brand, but it has great like literally the best um, footprint globally is one that I'd love to speak to. And I'm so happy to speak on Tarte as well, but Made With Love Bridal has a close place to my heart. So that literally started as a, again, checking your DMs. It started as a DM and they were like, hey, can we borrow some dresses for a photo shoot? And then two and a half years on, it's blossomed to like, our dresses are featured in a lot of their stores because we don't want to go into bridal. They don't want to go into bridesmaid. It's a really beautiful relationship. Um, you know, we're now looking at working together on like really big shoots because anyone who's produced content knows like locations can be like easily 15 to $20,000 for a really great location. So, you know, working together to cut costs because we can really be aligned um, and maximize opportunities, um, but also just giving each other a little bit of like a tea of what's happening in the market. Um, we do work with a lot of really, you know, great brands. Tarte was great for us for the U.S. They probably don't have the same audience as um, Australia, so it wasn't as beneficial, but um, it really showed, I think, the power of our agile team because one of the biggest points of that was they emailed us two weeks before a Christmas party and we're like, oh, gosh, um, our party fell through. Can we join yours? So we were like, you can bring your whole guest list to ours. Um, which was in LA, which was amazing. Um, and I had a little bit of a fangirl moment because you know that girl from TikTok who makes lunch for her kids? So she was there wearing Cuddle and Pup. <laughs> She's so cute. I'm obsessed with everything she does. And I have no children, but I really like them. <laughs> I really love her. Um, so we were able to like access talent who we had no relationship with. And I think in Australia, when you get invited to an event as an, like, you know, as an influencer, it'd be exciting, but really leveraging Tarte on that has been fantastic. So we have open opportunities now with brands like Tarte, with Made With Love Bridal, um, Synergy Skin, which I think is actually a Melbourne-based brand. Like they've been amazing to work with as well um, because we're so non-compete. If we can leverage each other, like so, so beneficial. And oftentimes it's like trading products. Like it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I agree entirely. So good. (laughs) Um, And my next question is about sort of in a digital landscape. I love that all of those collaborations, they're very like IRL. Mm. You know, there's there's so many fantastic relationships that foster community off the back of those, which is fantastic. But in a digital landscape, how do you go about creating experiences that really resonate with the Pedal and Pop community? We invest a lot of time. I won't, I won't say that we invest like a lot of our marketing dollars necessarily to content because we've just got a really great talented team that just can make amazing things happen. Um, but we invest a lot of time 
in content and we really try to dream about how we can really romanticize the product even though it's probably got a short lifespan which is another kind of like crazy thing that we have to go through um but we've always tried to add personal touches to um including our customers in particular into anything that we're doing if it is if we are doing it for influencers or um if we do have something like and I I know giveaways are probably like the easiest way to kind of like reach out and collab and like et cetera. But, um, you know, we've had really great moments where we've gifted our customers with like similar experiences to what we'd give to an influencer for PR. And it just means so much to them. We've even tried to invite people to events, but I think they think that's a little bit like creepy that we want to meet them in real life. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, we've, we've tried, like we've really tried in Brisbane because we Come would like to our offices. They're like, <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> and we have a shiny new office that I'm proud of, so we could definitely invite people to the office before it's maybe not so pretty. Um, but, you know, anything that we can do to kind of have that real life touch is like has been really important to us. Um, and you kind of touched on it earlier saying that like influencers are almost surveyed. But I think like it's so easy to think that we need all of these like big shiny tools to do simple things. But like love SurveyMonkey, love Google Forms. I won't send Google Forms to customers, but... Um, it's still just a really great way to track like what people need and to make them feel engaged. But the biggest thing is like, what are those action points once you gather that information? Because then I think that people won't feel as empowered with the information that you're giving them. But we always make sure that if we've learned something, like how are we going to fix this? Because again, someone's taken the time to give us the feedback. Yeah. And how do you use the various marketing channels together? Like user generated content and reviews and SMS and things like that um, to help personalize experiences. We still need to, and this is again, why loyalty is going to be so epic for us. We still need more UGC. I think of like real people on the site because going back to like who our customer is, she's not always the person that's going to take a photo of us. And we're now so big that we have to be like really mindful of like usage rights. And we can't just like throw things everywhere, you know, which is, it's important to respect that boundary. Um, but we try to showcase customer or organic content as much as we have or as much as we can. And we're really looking to basically bolster that because we see the power behind it. It's just, it's, it's crazy that the most difficult thing for us is actually garnering user-generated content to be able to do that. Um, I will say that since we migrated over to Yachtpo, we've literally had over a 400, and like, this is actually plug, this is a real stat, 400% increase on our UGC, which is amazing. Like I didn't actually think that migrating platforms, as much as I love the whole Yapo team, I didn't think that that was going to make that significant. I just have to make sure it's clear because I really love these people, but like I didn't think that I didn't think that it was going to be able to drive that difference because you think like it's technology, it's fine. It's no, it's completely changed the game for us. That's so. crazy. Four hundred percent is insane. Yeah, yeah. It's it's because especially because obviously the like the larger you grow, the less you are able to get an incremental percentage increase of that size. Like, mm. um, so it's been fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. Well, that leads me perfectly to my next question because oh, I was going yeah. to say I'm assuming one tech uh, tech tool that's your favorite is Yotpo, but do you have um, a couple that you can share that you absolutely love? So my favorite tech products, um, so aside from Yappa, so we'll kind of like take that away. I was actually thinking about that after you asked Priscilla, because I think we're so lucky that like currently present day, every partner, every agency, everyone that we work with, like I'm so happy with them. And I think as a, as a marketer and as someone who kind of is in a business of the, the size, 
that is so incredibly rare for you to sit there and be like, it feels like every person's in house. Um, but Yieldify is actually a piece of technology that we use currently on site. It's really helped our personalization. I probably use it. I, it basically, it, it kind of maps out the customer's journey and allows you to prompt changes based on exit or lack of conversion, et cetera. That has allowed us to really make huge changes to our site for a very small price compared to what it would have been to develop work or to actually run tests to possibly make that development work. So, so many quick wins. And when we see increases, then we can justify development. So, I mean, that's been a huge technology tool for us. Um, and then probably, I, I know Priscilla touched on Clavio, so I won't say Clavio, but I love Clavio as well. I just really like every, I'm too, I'm too easy to please. Um, no, I'm really not, which is the, which is the probably not good side of that. Um, Okay, I really love Instant Search Plus, which is actually our search platform, um, because it does a lot of, so my favorite thing's really weird that it does. So it has synonyms, right? Which you're like, oh, sure, shouldn't, shouldn't search do that. But we have, like I said, thousands of products, and people search on mobile, and autocorrect comes into play. So one of our best-selling dresses is the Chea dress. Type in Chea, you're gonna get the word cheat, search is gonna give you nothing. So that has really helped us combat basically autocorrect because people type in autocorrect types and wild things into our search results that are not intended to be there. Um, and it allows us to intuitively and reactively make that change because if I see 15 people do it because of something that happened, and granted, I'm, I'm, we've now grown, so I'm not the person doing this anymore. But now when our product merchandiser sees that happening, she can actually go in and make the changes so that someone has a better chance of finding the product that they want, which is which would be the most painful point of going on our website, is finding actually what you want to find. Amazing. I love that. And last but not least, who is an amazing woman in e-commerce that you look up to? Oh, I have a lot, again. So that's probably something that would be really difficult for me. Um, I think one person that like kind of recently came into my life, and it's going to sound really silly because it is our brand president and CEO, but... I think she's the best example that I've seen of someone so senior in their career who really has like had it all. I think as women, like we very much can sometimes feel like we get niched into you need to have this type of career and your career can be awesome or you can be a mom. But if you're a mom, maybe you can't have many children or maybe like et cetera. And like she's had this amazing career where she's inspired so many really cool people. Like we've had some of them join our business and just culturally she's on point. But she's been able to have this like crazy rock star career, be like a VP at Pottery Barn, and then also has four like amazing daughters and has this great home life. And the fact that she showed me she can have it all after having so many amazing men, but having so many male leaders or women who I think had to choose. And it's okay if you've chosen not to have that life, but where maybe people have to choose one or the other. It was great to see somebody who like, she's, she's shown that like, yeah, you can have it all. And so I think that makes her an amazing woman in e-commerce because I know we've got so many amazing women here and I love that like Rad's joined the girls club today. Um, <laughs> But it still can feel like a little bit of a boys club. And so finding someone that literally could run rings around anyone. I think that's actually one of my favorites of AKA Brands is even the board is like very female centric. Like the CEO of AKA Brands is also female who also has had this like crazy killer career. And it's so nice to have these people 
in my presence actually like investing their time in me so that I can then sew that into my team. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was brilliant. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of This Is How We Do It. And another big thank you to Yotpo, our fabulous podcast partners. You can check out the links in this episode's show notes to join the amazing women in e-commerce community. Such a fantastic community to be a part of. Highly recommend going and joining that um, and being, being part of it all. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining and we'll see you next time.